This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Gentrification. Some people say it's good. Some say it's bad. In St. Petersburg, Florida, they're not sure. There's really an incredible amount of investment happening in this city. Uh, but it's it's creating an affordability problem for folks who are from here. Uh, and a lot of that, unfortunately, is playing out in the mostly black neighborhoods uh, of town. Josh Solomon is a reporter for the Tampa Bay Times. This is what's at the heart of the problem. The Tropicana Field property. There are these really grand plans to build something incredible there. Um, and that, that parcel used to be a predominantly black working class neighborhood. What will be done with the Tropicana? property. Coming up in this episode of Colors. What does the world think about America's race problems? There are some uh, reports uh, on the Chinese press saying that uh, even 90 percent of the population has changed its perception about uh, uh, America after these uh, racial attacks. Francesco Sisi, an Italian journalist who lives in China, says some of it we take with a grain of salt. Certainly there is an element of propaganda in it. But he says there's some ground truth in that sentiment, and it's not just in China. There is a concern, a worry uh, about uh, Asians, uh, being Asian in America. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Jody Trani, and I'm white. And this is Colors. You know, Chris is moving to a different role. Um, He has said before, and he told us from day one, that he wanted to retire. Uh, And he did. He was already retired. We just didn't tell you that. Um, but he wants to do a little bit less work now, and that means not being on this program on a regular basis. He may appear from time to time in the future. So we're doing something different now. We're still continuing the dialogue. We're still continuing the interracial discussions, uh, and we're doing it with guest hosts. And I'm so pleased to introduce someone today that I think the world of, and his name is Joe Detrani. Joe is a former U.S. envoy to the six-party talks with North Korea. He's also the former director of the National Counterproliferation Center for the U.S. government. And he's a prolific writer. He's an academic, um, very smart guy. He's a veteran, retired from the Central Intelligence Agency. He did a lot of very important hard work around the world. And uh, I was I was 
privileged enough to meet him fairly early on in my national security reporting career, and he played a great role in helping me to shape that coverage and reporting. But he's also uh, a big fan of social justice, racial equality, diversity, uh, inclusion and belonging. And we've had many conversations about that. And I'm so pleased that Joe is on this program with me today. Joe, welcome. Thank you, JJ. It's an honor being here. I'm a, a fan of yours and of colleagues. And uh, I, I just think you and, and the, uh, your whole team uh, does do, do, they just do a great job uh, covering some of these very important racial issues that are affecting uh, the United States, who we are as a people, but also who we are internationally. Mm -hmm. so the world still looks to the United States for leadership, and we have to get it right in the United States. Absolutely. And so you've invited a friend of yours on the program, um, and I will let you introduce him because this friend is going to help us get a, an idea of what the world thinks about how America's handling race. Yes, JJ, I've invited uh, Francesco Sissi, who's a, a sinologist, a very uh, noted sinologist, uh, an Italian uh, who's lived in uh, and works in uh, Beijing for over 20 years. He's a graduate of their uh, graduate school of the uh, Academy of uh, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. He's a fluent Mandarin Chinese speaker. Uh, he follows world events and he knows China extremely well. And obviously he knows Europe well. So I think he would be, um, and uh, he's married to a, a, a Chinese woman. I think he'd be a, a great um, uh, uh, participant in a discussion on what's happening in the United States, certainly as it affects Asian Americans when we see a spike in the crime uh, rate going up against Asian Americans, but also in the broader sense of, of you know, African Americans and the George, George Floyd killing and, and related killing. So I think my wife is also Chinese American, mm -hmm. uh, an academic, uh, and, uh, and she and I uh, both met Francesco when we served in China going back to the late 1990s. And mm -hmm. we've stayed in touch with Francesco and his, uh, his lovely family. Francesco, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe, for the wonderful introduction. I'm uh, honored to be in this show with Joseph Detrani and you. Thank you. Yeah, Francesco, thank you for uh, doing this. And uh, your views are very important. Uh, you know, in the United States right now, Francesco, and I know you're very much aware of it, we've seen a significant increase in crimes against Asian Americans. Um, and Pacific Islanders. Uh, a lot of this kicked in with COVID-19 starting uh, at last February, March. How is this viewed, in your view, in China and also in Europe and Italy? But, but let's focus first on China. How do the Chinese people view the significant spike in crimes against Asian Americans? Uh, they're worried. They're worried there are some uh, reports uh, on the Chinese press saying that uh, even 90% of the population has changed its perception about uh, uh, America after these uh, racial attacks. Maybe 90% is uh, overstated, and certainly there is an element of propaganda in it, but certainly also... Um, there is a concern, a worry 
uh, about uh, Asians, uh, being Asian in America. Uh, before, before COVID and before, I would say, up to a few years ago, Asians and Chinese felt uh, they could come to uh, United States and have opportunities here that uh, uh, they wouldn't have back in China. And I don't mean just business. I mean experiences uh, like freedom, mm -hmm. uh, liberty in uh, acting and living a different life. These uh, reporting about racial discrimination attacks, uh, attacks on uh, Chinese specifically, also because Chinese are not individually uh, very prone to be confrontational. So they are scared of being thrown into a situation in which they don't know and they wouldn't know how to react. You are a guest in a foreign country, somebody confronts you for being Chinese. How would you do that? What would you do that? Um, some are also aware that these reports may overstate the situation. And actually, the real situation is not as bad as, as it's uh, reported in the, in the Western press and in the Chinese press. But still, this is, I think, a dent, an important dent in, uh, in a perception of the United States at a crucial moment mm -hmm. of the bilateral relations between the two countries. You know, uh, Francesco, it's it's also very interesting to me to hear you say that because, um, you know, this is the one year anniversary of the death of George Floyd, um, which was seen around the world and in many ways changed uh, a lot of people's minds about uh, what they would personally do about uh, racial, about discrimination, about um um, social justice. And uh, I'm curious, from your perspective, I know you have um, uh, people that you're close to that are of Asian descent. And, um, you know, you have lots of friends of different races and different ethnicities. I'm curious, how do you view what's taken place with George Floyd in, in, in the U.S. and abroad, and how that impacts in any way the situation regarding these attacks on Asian, uh, Asian Americans in the U.S. or Asians in general in the U.S.? My sense is that um, there is a difference between Chinese living, already living in, in the United States and Chinese viewing the United States, looking at the United States from China on the case of, uh, of Floyd and uh, d discrimination against blacks. In a way, Chinese feel discrimination, Chinese in China feel discrimination against blacks is something that doesn't really matter hmm. to them. They feel it's not important. They feel very strongly about discrimination against um, uh, Chinese, against Asians, but they are more neutral about discrimination against black. This is a perception. This is not scientific. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is uh, just what I want to stress here. Yeah. However, people, uh, Chinese, ethnic Chinese living in the United States feel completely different. They feel and they see the, the affiliation that uh, 
um, you know, there is a common cause and uh, they notice uh, that uh, the, 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 the Oscar, the this year Oscar to the, Chinese, the, the born Chinese uh, uh, director, she was called a uh, person of color. And so they also felt in a, and they felt and they feel more and more people of color, which they didn't feel in a way before. Um, and uh, this, this um, adjective used for uh, Miss Zhou, uh, the director, also struck a chord in China. The people were taken back and say, oh, wow, is she a person of color? What, what is happening? Is, they are putting us uh, in the same, uh, under the same label as blacks or, or whatever. So this issue of uh, race, the, which um, in a way between Chinese and uh, Caucasians, which was dormant for, for a few decades, now is back uh, more strongly uh, with Chinese, ethnic Chinese, Chinese in the United States, less strongly in China. Uh, but then the rest is, the opposite is also true. It is the discrimination against Asians is less, I would say, a little bit, is felt a little bit less strongly with uh, people um, uh, in the United States, but more strongly with people out of the United States. So can I follow up on that, JJ? Uh, so what does that mean for the Chinese government? Do you, do you get a sense that the Chinese government is discouraging Chinese from visiting the United States? Are they discouraging students from studying in the United States? We have over 100, 300,000 Chinese students studying in universities and colleges in the U.S. Are they discouraging these Chinese students and visitors from uh, coming to the United States? Um, not, I wouldn't be so blunt as saying they are discouraging, but the, I would say what is happening now is that uh, the Chinese government is looking at the U.S. Uh, through a different spectrum and telling its people, well, the United States is not the dream country you thought uh, it was. Uh, you may go, but you have to be careful. Uh, you may want to study, but you better come back because uh, the atmosphere, the situation won't be as good as you uh, thought uh, once upon a time. So I think uh, this, taking from the government side, and it's also part of a, a bigger uh, effort, and um, which, mm -hmm. I mean, objectively, you cannot uh, uh, disconsider in a way, if, if you allow me these bad words. I mean, people were taken back with the attack on Capitol Hill by these uh, uh, Trump supporters and say, yeah, look, this is, uh, this is uh, what uh, American democracy is about. It's, uh, it's not as ideally, 
uh, idealistic and idyllic as you as you thought. And COVID, yeah, they well, we may be authoritarian, but we kept COVID under control. And look at the United States; they have three thousand, three hundred thousand or more deaths. And so, is building is part of um, of a perception uh, of uh, reality uh, of a different uh, way of portraying uh, the United States. And if and I think the United States must be fully aware of that because there is an element of truth in it, uh, and uh, and it must react because if it doesn't react, then this uh, uh, propaganda effort can spin out of control with you know mm-hmm. dangerous, I would say, repercussions. Francesco, that's. Uh... That's a very chilling, but blunt, and um, Sorry. that's okay. That's what we deal in. We deal in fact, we deal in truth, and we deal in uh, just being upfront about things, and thank you for doing that. Gentlemen, I'd like to ask both of you um, separately what your views are on, personal views are, on this situation with uh, the attacks on Asians in the United States, Asians and Pacific Islanders. Joe, let me just start with you first. Well, I think it's uh, I think it's horrific. This is so sad. I mean, we've uh, as a country. I mean, we've we, uh, I, I, you know you think back to school days when you study in uh, in American history the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. And, and we've progressed so significantly. But the same thing, sir, indeed, also for, uh, you know, African-Americans. And think back to the 13th Amendment in 1865, and we, which ended slavery. And we've moved forward. Of course, we have Jim Crow laws, but with the Civil Rights Act in 1964, we've moved, we've moved forward. But then when you see something like COVID-19 coming in and you see this spike a very significant spike in crimes against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And you see the, the killing of George Floyd and, and other related type killings. You say, well, what, what's going on here? And, and I'll, I'll end on this. It's, it's sad, but uh, fortunately, we've had uh, this past week, we had this new bill on the uh, hate crimes bill that was signed uh, COVID-19 hate crimes is signed by the president of the United States, President Biden. I think that's progress. I think there's people are aware of it. We've seen the, the, the trial of the police officer who killed uh, George Floyd and the, and the verdict there. So I think there is a sense that we we have to get over this and we have to we have to continue to pro, uh, make progress on these issues. But but, uh, you know, um, it's sad and it's a wake up call. Uh, we have a lot going for us in this country, and 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 and, and Francesco knows this and others so well. That's why we have so many Chinese students and and other nationalities, foreign foreigners coming to the United States to study and to live with immigration issues. So we have so much to offer, uh, but we we have these episodes of racism in the United States that has to continue to be worked. Otherwise. Uh, we will not make the progress we should as a, as a liberal democracy. And Francesco, please tell yeah. us your thoughts. I, I, I totally agree with Ambassador Di Trani. It is 
extremely important, especially in this historical moment, that United States moves for forward. And in a way, those challenges, uh, these, the challenge of racism, the challenges to democracy and to freedom, are and can be opportunities for the United States to show to the world its real uh, truth, its real identity. And uh, in a way, the, this, they, this is how they should be taken and used as opportunities to see that things happen, bad things happen, but then the United States can deal with that and can move forward and can progress, can make progress and improve the situation. If it doesn't, if the United States doesn't, that is the danger. I would, I would say uh, I wouldn't be, of course, so worried about uh, the killing of George Floyd, this racism, which, is, which are terrible, terrible, horrible, horrific, as, as Ambassador Trani said. But this, the response is even far more important. And uh, I, I'm seeing now from the distance that this is happening. And uh, I expect the United States to move even faster and to a greater um, extent in, in the next few months. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really troubles me is a lot of times when bad things happen, you have this great big response you have this hue and cry for justice for a few weeks or a few months or for a little while and then things go quiet the thing that really concerns and scares me is that what happens what happens if people stop feeling this intense need to make change you know jj can i ask you a question then further to that yeah. I mean, you 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 report on these issues. You you're you, know, you cover all the national security issues, but certainly you've uh, with colors and and other reporting, you've been looking at our domestic situation, and and what's going on. Do you do you feel we we can build on on these uh, unfortunate developments? Whether it's certainly the killing of George Floyd and related, and the anti Asian American crimes. Can we, can we as a nation, do you feel, move forward and, and make progress and, and learn from these uh, unfortunate uh, lessons? Well, yeah, the answer is yes. I mean, we always, we can. But the question is, will we? Do people really want to? I mean, what we saw on January 6th, was evidence of just some of the vitriol and the hatred that courses through this country. Uh, and so there are a lot of people who, for, for as robust as the response is against uh, crimes against uh, Asians and Pacific Islanders, as robust as the response is uh, against the killing of George Floyd, other African-Americans in this country, I'm, under, I'm, I'm told... And I've seen some evidence of it that there is a very, very strong contingent of people in this country that are happy about these unfortunate things and that will not move, lift a finger to do anything to change this and, and, and will continue to try to push from the shadows for these things to keep happening. And, and that really that really bothers me. I, I think it can be done. But Francesco, I just don't know if it will. I Can I ask you? 
both a, a question as an outsider. Yeah. I mean, um, being in, in being in a Chinese family in a way because mm-hmm. my my wife and my daughters, but also uh, the, the, there is another element. I, I'm asking. Uh, I'm I'm not so sure. Isn't this talk uh, about racial discrimination sometimes a little bit too much? And can't it uh, backfire? That is, people who still feel this, uh, uh, you know, they feel cornered uh, by this uh, uh, racial uh, discourse and feel that it's just too much, then they will react and they will, as you were saying, JJ, just before, uh, feel entitled to to be uh, even more aggressive. When is the, this kind of talk in a way too much and uh, not useful? Because if you want to have a, a positive reaction, you have to uh, have a consensus, even with people who are different from you. Um, mm. I, I don't know. Who, who, uh, is, is there such a talk? Or when, when? Well, let me just uh, say something briefly, and then I'll throw it to the ambassador for his thoughts on this. Um, African Americans have been in this country for 400 years and were brought here as enslaved people. And there have been many, many occasions down through the years including uh, in recent years where African-Americans or people of African descent, and as Joe mentioned, people of Asian descent uh, and people of other ethnicities have been mistreated badly. Um, If you don't talk about it and if you don't deal with it, then it nothing ever happens to change the narrative. So we have so many different people here in this melting pot, and I don't, you know, where you are is probably the same. You have a lot of different people there. But it's a gigantic country here, and it was founded on this ideal of equality for everyone. But throughout the years, there was this system that did very little to put equality, to live up to the Constitution, if you will. Now you have young people that are growing up who are asking questions that some people asked years ago. So if we were based on this principle, then why didn't we live up to it? So there is this idea that, okay, if you talk about it too much or if you do, you know, if you, if you engage too much on it, it's going to anger people. And then there are those of us who have been in situations where we have been um, the victims of this kind of discrimination, this hate, who say, well, what's the alternative? If we don't talk about it, we're damned. If we do, we're damned. You know, so that's a kind of thing. What the idea is here is that it needs to be dealt with. And, you know, we just have to take we have to take um, take a very measured approach to it. But there's I don't think that there is an end to this. I, I would agree with you, JJ, 100 percent. I think uh, I think we have to address the issues as we see them. I think if there's a, an element of quiescence and, 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 and people are not saying what is going on here, I think we'll just fall back into doing business the way it's been. And, and let's face it, uh, you know, uh, 
our history tells us there's, there's been a systemic racism, uh, whether it's Asian Americans, African Americans, uh, and uh, others from the Middle East, et cetera. So I think these are issues that have to be addressed. And, and I, think, I think as a country, we have addressed the issues as we've moved forward. And I cited, you know, whether the 13th Amendment, whether it was, whether, you know, the Civil Rights Act, uh, whether it was, you know, moving beyond the Chinese Exclusion Act. Uh, so I think we have. Uh, let me just say this also. I think uh, further to your question, which is a good question, Francesco, I think foreign actors have exploited mm -hmm. these elements of tension and, and, uh, and, and bigotry and racism have exploited that but using social media. And I, you know, I, I really think, I think the Russians have been very active in this area using trolls and bots and, and others and, and, and trying to inflame this dialogue and, and to get people to, uh, to take a very opposite views on it so there would be a little more confusion and conflict within our country and tension. So I think foreign actors have exploited some of these elements. So just even on a national security issue basis, I think we need to address it and we need to make it very clear that we are addressing it, not only to the American people, but to the world. Yeah. You know, Francesco, um, talking with you uh, and, and Joe is, 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 is a big pleasure. It is a gigantic pleasure to talk to both of you. Uh, and I'm going to end, if I might, uh, with a question to you very quickly, uh, Francesco. Um, what advice uh, would you have for Americans? I think I, I, I would agree with you both and with Ambassador Titrani saying that, yes, the United States needs to address the issue, uh, needs to talk about it. And uh, talk about it is extremely important and not uh, sweep it uh, under the rug. However, the way to talk about it, um, is, uh, I think, I personally think, should be uh, forgiving and forgiving of the racist. Uh, people who are racist have a lot uh, in their soul, a lot of bad things in their soul, and they need salvation in a way more than, than, than others. Mm -hmm. um, so the way United States, I think, from looking from the outside, through this debate, um, can find, again, a new unity. But this unity should be based also on uh, uh, not finding hatred for uh, the racists. It should be hate against racism, but uh, understanding and uh, forgiving for the racist. Because if you don't forgive the racist, it's just a practical thing. It's not just a Christian thing, you see. Mm -hmm. If people feel cornered uh, and, and they know they are racist in their soul, then they will fight with everything in their soul against it. They have to have a way out. You don't want your enemy to feel cornered. And uh, mm. you need to have uh, bridges, to build bridges for them, bridges of forgiveness. 
it is, I think, very important, the experience of South Africa. Mm-hmm. South Africa, of course, it was the paragon of racism. You know, they, they, have, they had a apartheid. But what did they do? What Nelson Mandela did was forgiving, forgiving for all the white people. Uh, they didn't slaughter them. They, they forgave them and mm-hmm. even left them, you know, their property, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it, the notion of forgiving the racists and being unforgiven against racism is very important, although it is extremely difficult to draw a line between the two, I would say. I, I, I don't know. That is <laughs> Ambassador de Trani, what, what do you No, think? I think that's well said. I, uh, that was very, very well said, Francesco. Yeah, that is, you know, we've talked about it on the show before, the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions of the South Africans under Nelson Mandela. We've talked about that. We've also talked about things like reparations, but you bring up a good point. And I've said this on the show before, uh, forgiveness and redemption are critical if we're going to get anywhere and move forward on this. Um, but a part of it is the discovery process, which is what we're doing right now. And, you know, Francesco Sushi, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, JJ. And thank you, Ambassador Detrani, for Francesco. having me. Thank you. We'll be back with more of our discussion in just a moment. You're listening to Colors. My name is John Echohawk. I'm a, a citizen of the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma. I'm an attorney and executive director of the Native American Rights Fund, and we're headquartered in Boulder, Colorado. The way my family name happened uh, goes way back to uh, uh, my ancestors and one in particular who uh, uh, got his Indian name. And when it's uh, translated, it uh, it's translated into Echohawk, but uh, that's kind of the a short version of, uh, of why uh, he got the name, and that is that uh, he was he was such a uh, such a great man, such a great leader, such a great warrior, that uh, all of his deeds were echoed across the land, and so uh, they said, "Okay, well, let's call him Echo Hawk." Uh, as you probably know, uh, you know, the reason they called us Indians was because uh, Columbus thought he was an Indian. We're basically uh, uh, people native to uh, to America, native to this land. I remember when I first started uh, uh, my law practice, I, I would uh, be some places and uh, you know, I would have people say to me, you look like an Indian, are, are you an Indian? And yeah, I didn't know you, you people were still around. Today, I still have Indian people tell me that, that, that same story. Uh-huh. So, and it differs. It differs in different parts of the country, but there's still some people who don't understand that. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Well, Joe, when I thought about asking you to come on this program, and essentially told you you could invite anyone you wanted to, I didn't have any idea who you would invite, but I knew it would be someone who would bring some some light shed some light to this conversation that hadn't been shed before. And you brought someone who um, is a person, a citizen of another country. You brought another set of eyes to this problem that we're having in the U.S. when it comes to race. Uh, And you brought a whole different uh, perspective on how we're doing with this to this conversation. And I thought uh, 
Francesco was, <laughs> I thought he was, I thought he was pleasantly blunt, very, very studied and, 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 and very knowledgeable about what's going on in the U.S., but also he understands something that I've mentioned a few times on this program before, and that is that in order to get get to where we want to go, we've got to figure out where we are. And he talked about that, and I thought he did an, an excellent job. JJ, I totally agree. Uh, Francesco uh, is a very uh, candid individual. Uh, he knows China extremely well. I mean, he's he's lived and worked in China for over 20 years. Uh, so when he talks about how the Chinese government is viewing uh, what's happening in the United States with this with the uh, anti-Asian-American uh, 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 spike in crimes, when he talks about how Chinese people feel about what's happening in the United States in regards to race, uh, uh, generically, not only affecting Asian-Americans, but also African-Americans and others who migrate to this country. So, so yeah, I think Francesco brings a, a set of eyes as a European who's a very... Uh, very close to uh, China and and the people of China. I think it was a very interesting perspective. And and I, I think that's also, and I think you do that so well with colors, that's also important. We have to understand how we're viewed by other countries, but also how those some of those other countries, certainly those autocracies, are exploiting some of the things they see in the United yes. States for their own end. Yeah, I, I thought it was great when you brought that up about the uh, see one of the things I say about the work that I do is that I work at the intersection of national security and race. And you brought that home in a very important and poignant way when you talked about that, how these these adversaries are trying to trying to essentially exploit um, the exactly. problem that we're having. I thought I thought that was I was an excellent um um, excellent point that you made up. Uh, have you have you have you seen more than what you talked about? You talked about Russia in the show, but are there others that are doing that? Well, well, well look at look at look at China. Uh, going back to March of 2020, the beginning of COVID-19, when their spokesperson from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on his his Twitter account is is tweeting that the U.S. brought the uh, COVID-19 virus to Wuhan, China. I mean, this is this is ludicrous to see that that uh, very blatant disinformation being disseminated by a government official. So, yes, it's Russia. I think Russia does it uh, full court press. I mean, the way they use their trolls and bots and how they exploit social media to uh, to, if you will, uh, 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 engender this uh, uh, friction between uh, elements of our society. There's no question about it. But others like China, indeed, I'll say uh, Iran is is very active in this area. Uh, I would I would think uh, you know opportunity lends itself to other autocracies. I'm I'm sure they all are very much involved with significant disinformation operations. But but again, when you talk about active measures and disinformation. For political ends, it's the Russians who really have the playbook. They've written the playbook, mm -hmm. but others are studying from the uh, Russian playbook. Let me ask this one last thing before we wrap this up. Um, you mentioned that your wife is uh, Chinese, mm -hmm. and um, you clearly have uh, family connections. So right. how did these attacks make you 
these attacks that have taken place in this country on Asian and Pacific Islander persons, how did it personally make you feel? Well, JJ, um, just attacks against any uh, ethnicity, um, any minority is, is sickening. There's no question. But to see some of the graphic videos that were taken about some of the uh, crimes against these Asian Americans, and they tended to be against uh, uh, the elderly uh, women, uh, it was really sickening. And to have heard our you know, former president uh, talk about the gung flu and, and the China virus, uh, which, which, uh, which uh, sort of... Uh, um, uh, foments uh, that element of our population to feel the righteous and and doing some of these horrific things, these criminal acts. Uh, it's hard to believe it's happening in the United States. But when we look at history and we see what's going on, we we know that this is part of our history, and we and we've made progress and we continue to make progress. But we just can't cannot sit sit by and accept it. We cannot be quiet. We, uh, there, needs to be, there needs to be not only a discourse, but there needs to be outrage that this isn't happening in a society like mm-hmm. the United States where the rule of law prevails. And, and, and this is our strength. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Jody Trani, and I'm white. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. When we met, she was a 17-year-old dreamer from El Salvador. When we met, I was working as a cleaner in the building where WTOP and La Mera Mera were established. That's right. You were coming every day with the big trash can, (laughs) trash bags, cleaning solutions. Dusting out the desk and everything. She's 24 now and no longer dreaming. In those seven years, you transformed from essentially a janitor to now you're running the La Mera Mera radio station here. I oversee the daily basis operation of the station. That's pretty big. I mean, that's the story of Carla Reyes. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. It's time to go. And as always, we want to say thanks to some people. Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Robin Terry. Guadalupe, Correa, Cabrera, Kevin Stanfield, Jamal Bowens, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Elena Fortney, Hagar Chamali, Lisa Weiner, Sean Anderson, Rose Varner Gaskins, Fonda Mwangi, Dimitri Sotis, Brennan Hazelton, and for the music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, Offshane. And most of all, we want to say a gigantic thank you to you for listening to us. And finally, Just remember to keep talking to each other, and most importantly, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.